You're listening to the Bay Christian Family Church Podcast. I forcefully love you. May the force be with you too. I'm not going to get over that very easily, it seems to me. Is it from Ghana? All right. So, on every page of your physical Bible, you'll find somewhere there's a reference to prophecy or prophets. It's a consistent thing in the kingdom of God is prophecy. And there's so much weirdness out there, it's exhausting. I'm here to tell you today that you're not led by prophecy. You're led by the Holy Spirit. For you to be a healthy vibrant and effective Christian, there are a few things that you always have to watch and keep in order. The very first and most important thing is to guard your heart. You always got to be truthful about your heart. My biggest anxiety in my life is when I have to watch brethren who walk with God and are effective in the kingdom that start to become disconnected in relationship with the Lord. It's, it makes me very anxious because I, I know something dies within them as they don't stay connected. Jesus said we have to be remain in Him. And if you don't make a conscious effort to maintain the relationship, you will go through all the rituals and miss something. So the, the most important thing for you is always to watch your heart. Make time and spend time with God. The second thing that you need to really be important to a healthy Christian is find a spiritual family. And you need to understand and define what that really is. Being committed to a family, and family are strange, strange commodities. You, you can't pick your family. Uh, you, oh, <laughs> we, have, we have Christmas and they come, all come over and you, you're all so happy to see them and you're all so happy when they go. <clears throat> but they're still your family. They get on your nerves but if they need you, you're there. There's a bond in the family. And that's what family really is. You don't get to always pick it like a friend. And God has given us family, spiritual family. When you find the family, God has locked you. And I've always told people, don't look for the job and then look for the church. Find the church first and then look for the job. Because you want, that's the most important thing. Jobs will come and go, but your spiritual family is of utmost importance to you. And so when you're locked into a church or a family, you are committed with your time, your life. It's, it's a real family and, it's, and also your finances. The Bible says if you're sick, then you need to wait for Benny Hinn to come to South Africa again so he can pray for you. No, the Bible says if you're sick, call the elder, the elders of your church. And if you have sinned to cause a sickness, when they pray for you, you will be healed. It's important you understand you don't have an elder if you're not committed to a local church. You can be the best prophet on the planet if you don't have, not part of the family of God, you are in a dangerous place. So it's, for, to be a healthy Christian, that, that's what you need. Then you need to have constant influx of the word of God in your life, makes you strong and healthy on a continual basis and, a, and an, a commitment and an accountability. Now, prophecy is important. It's God's given gift to help. And for all the nine gifts, we're told to cover that gift the most. There's no question. But we're not led by prophecy. And people make all too foolish mistakes because of their ignorance by running after prophecy and misunderstanding it and turning it around to suit what they want and things just lack of understanding. But when we do get a prophetic word, even though you do everything right and you commit it to a family, it seems sometimes that it's taken so long for it to happen and you're waiting for that prophecy to come about. 
Well, I'm here to teach you tonight how to war with your prophecy. We are at war. We wrestle. We wrestle. We wrestle. Not against flesh and blood, but powers and principality. Now, if you read in your Bibles, please, in the book of Timothy, 1 Timothy, in Paul's writings, these are some of his latter writings, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy and Titus were some of the last things he wrote. Uh, Paul came from Tarsus. He never got married, but he had great counsel for marriages, apparently. And he would have had children, but he also could give parenting and teaching too. But either way, Paul was from Tarsus, the most learned of all Jewish people of his age. He tells us that. And he had, a, he had given us almost 70-odd percent of our doctrines, this Paul the Saul of Tarsus. He's writing to Timothy, one of his spiritual sons. And the older he got, the more mature he got. For example, you'll find in his early writings, he's got this thing in from his first letters to Corinthians, he writes about, doesn't allow women to speak. But as time went on, he unfolded, he became very appreciative of women ministries and even greets in Romans 16, greets Junius, who a, a, recognizes a female apostle. And that's the same man that told, I don't let women speak. And he grew and became mature and began to realize how valuable. In fact, let me tell you, women have always been God's secret weapon. Never can I find in the Bible when something profound happens that a woman wasn't in the mix. God really uses used women because they are, because men don't always pay attention to them. Do you understand? Um, listen to me, we've lost valuable ministry for not regarding women in the, in, the, in the spirit. Are you listening? It's very important you understand. And God has so many great ways. I mean, ma imagine Jesse, the, f the father of David. Remember David, the King David? Sitting around with his, f with his friends having a bry, as you call it, right? And they ask him, so your son David, who knew this boy, the shepherd boy, this relative would be the king? Who knew? And they're discussing and, and they're discussing the whole family. And it comes into the conversation. So Jesse, uh, this is your mother and father. Who's your grandmother? And out comes his mouth, uh, the name Rahab. Uh, and what was she doing again? My, my grandmother, she was a prostitute. So David's great-grandmother was a prostitute. What an unusual thing this lay. Do you know what a Mishnah is? The Jews have a tradition that we hand out, we hand over orally things that come from very powerful rabbis. Throughout the years, there have been great spiritual leaders in the Israeli faith, and they will hand down, they will tell us. To give you an example, one rabbi studied and saw the scriptures said it's cruel to cook a calf in its mother's milk, and from there we don't mix Milk and meat. So you go to Israel now, you'll only get fish and milk in the morning, but you'll not get milk with meat in the evenings. It's that simple. From one particular. And Jesus said, you forsake the law for your traditions. That's what he's talking about, is those oral traditions handed down. And they were, got into paper form in 2 AD. They wrote the Mishnah, right? But the Mishnah tells us that Rahab was so stunningly beautiful that no man could look at her. They always would look down the ground because she was so beautiful. I understand how that feels. I have that same problem. It's really difficult for me. I love you forcefully. <laughs> but can you imagine her life? Just I'm taking a quick... 
a quick uh, uh, diversion here. But when I picture Rahab, she grew up in a place called Jericho. And she was about 25, a very beautiful little lady, and she took a career that was helping her somehow in her family uh, financially. And she was that beautiful. The two spies picked her. They were coming to check the land out because Joshua said they was going to check it out. And they pick her house. Why? I don't know. And everybody knows they're there. Everyone knows who she is. It's, it's nothing hidden. And she's living in this wall on the outside of, this, of the city. The city, Jericho, is built on a hill. And there's two walls. And the, the walls are connected with houses so that they double strength. And she lived in that wall. And so this little uh, Rahab had heard about the Israelites. And they come checking things out, you know, and the Jews whine and complain about everything. But this non-Jewish, beautiful lady who's living a life of prostitution, she says to these spies, she says, we have heard all that God has done for you. And I, we know that God's going to give you this land. This is not even a Jew. She has more faith than the Jews do. We know that God's going to give you this land. What? And that's why he lied first because she took a step of faith. She changed the, the course of her whole family and her life. And she was inserted into the bloodline of Jesus. And she was a prostitute. What kind of life is that? You think that she's disqualified. God will take whatever, do whatever he wants to do. Wherever you are in your life, all you've got to do is surrender. Do you understand? All right. So just wanted to inject that. Now... So Paul in his journey, in his life, he'd grown so much and now he's towards the end of his life, he's teaching. And in 1 Timothy 1.18, he writes to Timothy, my son Timothy, I charge you, I, I give you this instruction, it's very important, that concerning the prophecies that have been made about you, that by those prophecies, you fight, you fight the good fight of faith. Now, what does that mean to fight the good fight of faith? What does it mean to fight by faith? And, and the next verse, the next verse that goes on, Paul says, if I can just get there to my Bible, come on. You know, Jesus loves iPhone. <coughs> I know that because he says, I am that I am. So iPhone, iMac, I, you know, I'm. <laughs> and so following the, you may fight the good fight. Verse 19 says of first ch chapter of uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1 says in verse 19, holding on to faith and a good conscience. Some have rejected these and so have shipwrecked. Have shipwrecked their faith. They shipwrecked it because they didn't hold on to good conscience and faith. Among them are Hermanius and Alexander and I have handed them over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. They, they failed or they broke down in their faith. When you get a promise of God, it doesn't happen in one day, then we start getting mad at God and all the prophet but there's a warfare that comes often with prophecy. Don't think you get a prophetic word or a promise of God. It's all going to just fall into your plate. There is a role you've got to play. The devil hears. In fact, we read that the king of Persia, which is the devil, kept the answer of Daniel's prayer back 21 days. He fought God's answer to prayer. He will do all he can to negate 
or make the prophecy not look right. So your faith will start to get fear and doubt. You'll try to diminish it. Well, I got the prophecy 20 years ago. Nothing's happened yet. I tell you, I could tell you many stories of things that just did not seem it was possible. It was impossible. In fact, somebody was talking, my wife was somebody a day yesterday or a day before about a man called Sean Morris. I don't know if you've ever heard that name uh, from his people. Uh, I prophesied over him in Durbanville. I think it was 30 years ago or 35 and I prophesied him and his wife. I was in Durbanville. They'd get married and they'd go to Austria and have the biggest church there. All of that happened and he'd have a son. Well, they found out in the years when going by, they were in Austria. They found that they could not have children. He was sterile. She was sterile, and they were very depressed by it, and they went through different testings, and nothing could work for them, so they were so thrilled when God opened a door, and they adopted their first child. And then the second child, and they were very happy and complete. Then they left Austria and went to New Zealand. This is Sean Morris and his wife, Trudy, and they go to New Zealand. She's 41 years old. She told me, this is her words to me last year when I saw her. She said, Ed, I thought I had a headache. I had to go, couldn't stop this headache, and I found out I was pregnant. And she had a boy... That boy's now 16, and that, they came to America after being in Australia so long, and it talks about God's blessing that he doesn't, he's Australian. They don't play basketball in Australia, and he gets to America, and he play, tries out for some basketball, and he's so naturally gifted and good of God that the, the team gets sponsored, and they send him to, us, to California, and what I'm telling all this is that years ago when the prophetic word came, they heard that it seemed feasible, they could see it happen, and everything worked against it. Everything said no, no, no. And even an adopted child, but they never if they put it, forgot about it. But God watches over his word to perform it. And the devil's gonna try and create fear in you or doubt that God cannot do it or won't do it, or it's not gonna happen. In fact, you'll start to accuse you that it's your fault you messed it up. <laughs> like you're good enough. You're strong enough. The only way you can mess it up is disobey God very deliberately. Disobedience and, uh, will definitely help negate that word or slow it down. But if you really want God's will, there's a war you have to fight. Now, my son Timothy, I charge you to take that prophecy and do warfare. Now, how do I do warfare with a prophecy? Well, first of all, let's get the prophetic word and let's write it down. Write it down. Why? Because you hear it one way. And you still hear it wrong anyway. But if you write it down, you look at it and it looks a whole lot different. But you didn't even realize that's what it's actually saying. And then you get someone that's spiritual enough that's in your leadership to help you walk that through. Because if you hear the word you're moving, are you moving house? Are you moving church? Are you moving job? What's moving? To understand or apply it correctly, you have to make sure you've got the word correct. And now you begin to pray on it. Because prophecy you're not led by, but it's a tool that the Holy Spirit will use amongst many other things. And it can be a great instrument in your life. Are you with me still? Stay with me. So now the prophetic word comes and you've prayed over it and you're very sure it's being confirmed by two or three shall a thing be established. You have to know that it's God speaking to you. You can never stand before the throne one day and, they're gonna, and God asks you now, why did you do that? Well, Ed Trout came to our church and prophesied. You know what God's going to say? We'll get to Ed Trout. <laughs> Let's talk about you first. And it's got a whole lot of, um, that separated special time for me, I guess, because I've got so much to, to answer for. But no, explain. <laughs> it's okay. God's Jewish. I'm Jewish. We get along really well. <laughs> so funny. I weird myself out. So, 
So now you make sure you understand the word and if you really prayed it through and you know it's confirmed, you know it's God's will for you and you believe it, now you've got to start doing warfare with that word. The first thing is to make you've got to believe it and you've got to start speaking in line with it. The older I become, the more I realize that my words are my tools and my weapons. That God wants us to speak. Nothing God does is quiet. God does not know quiet. Even in the Garden of Eden, he made noise. They heard the sound of God. So when the Holy Ghost came, there was a noise. When the bones began to come together with Ezekiel, they rattled them. There's such a noise. God is very noisy. If you don't like the noise, there is a half an hour silent, silence specially allocated for you in heaven, a half hour. So please look for it when it happens, because it's all you're getting, a half hour. But there'll be a lot of praise and a lot of noise happening. With spiritual things and sound are coupled. You cannot think to the mountain being removed. You've got to speak to it. There's got to be a sound. And the devil wants to keep you quiet. doesn't want you to talk. We have two ears and two eyes and two nostrils and two feet, but only one mouth. The one mouth we have is already enough to get us in trouble. Come on now, if you can control your tongue, you've got a perfect man. So you have to train yourself to watch, watch your mouth, brother. What is that? You've got to, it's, it's very, very real. Not only not to be negative, but to start saying it the way God says it. Do you, do you understand? I've had the most wonderful last year and a half with the Lord. For years ago, he told me that he loves the gray years. And I asked him, well, what's that? He says, all your life you're chasing something. And when you're in the gray years, you have time for me. And so this these last, last year and a half, he's been coming to visit me. And the one time he woke me up in the middle of the night and said, he, he said, I must ask him a question. And I could not think of one thing to ask him. I was just, I didn't know what to. So, but the next time I was ready, I was armed and dangerous. I had every, I had every question I could think of. Right? So I, I asked him, one of the questions I ever asked him was, Why? Do I have to pray? If you really know what you're going to do, if you're really the boss, if you really got plans, why is it so important that I pray? Because you really got your plans laid out. And the Lord gave me a very good, clear vision of billions of angelic beings that are armed with all kinds of weapons waiting to be dispatched. We can't dispatch them. God does. But our prayers activate them. So I said, but I pray in tongues all the time. He said, yes, the Holy Spirit's praying through you. But I need you as I've given you command and all authority, and conferred on you a kingdom, I need you to participate. So I said, well, if I start praying what I think, I'm going to be in trouble. I'll probably be right there near witchcraft. That's why I pray in tongues. He said, right. So you pray in tongues spiritually until you're in the spirit and you'll start praying in English my prayers. And you start participating in my kingdom. I need you to do it. The devil will try to get you diverted because he'll get you all upset and reactionary. If you're not in the spirit, walking in the spirit, you don't know how to pray effectively for God's kingdom to come. Exactly how God's king and his purposes. It takes a little bit of effort. You can't do it in five seconds. You've got to wait on the Lord and be prayerful and really get in the spirit. And it'll start coming more naturally and participate in the plans of God. Do you understand? God's waiting for us to be involved. But it has to be loud and verbal because it happens in the spirit dimension. They're waiting for those words to come on out of our mouths that are correct. Not emotional and reactional, ignorant and say foolish things, but well-groomed words that come from the Holy Spirit and clear understanding from God. And that takes a little training as you walk with the Lord and keep praying in the Spirit. Are you getting what I'm telling you? 
Yes, very important. I cannot begin to tell you about prayer. Every Friday at five in the afternoon, we come together on the internet and we pray. We've been praying for COVID and so on. I've been praying for revival. There's revival has broken out in America in a place called Kentucky. Genuine, it's gotten reached in their local news. It is genuine revival amongst the young people coming forward, repenting, crying. Nobody's asking. There's no special preacher. There's nothing strange. It's in three different places. And I believe with all of my heart that unless the Holy Ghost moves, we are, we are laboring in vain. And the only way He will move, the only things will happen is when somebody will pray. Really pray according to God's purpose. The two common denominators of every move of God, every move of God was sacrificial prayer, where people really make an effort that there's a sacrifice involved. And then second thing is I noticed the common denominator, they recognize the Holy Spirit as a person. Not some spooky entity that just floats around, but actually as a person giving him honor and space to move in the church. You're too excited. Take it down a notch. Wow, an exciting church this. Woo. Now, when you're doing warfare with prophecy, you're first of all going to start speaking what God says. You're changing, you're aligning all your speaking that lines up with what God promised. We're getting a building. We're not getting a building, we're getting the building, the best. It's a most clear purpose and plan of God. Must I explain to you why it hasn't happened? I can't, I'm not God, but I can guarantee you God's, He's busy, He's working. He's working. And God doesn't give you the leftovers. Not the Lord. God is able. I've never seen anything come victoriously without a fight. Victory only comes with a fight. And so when you get a prophetic word... The devil hears it and he's doing all he can to try and create doubt and fear in you. So he's fighting you. So you've got to start speaking what God says and start praying God's purpose in. <clears throat> you get a prophecy about getting a car. You go buy a car ring and clean out your garage. You start preparing because now you're expecting what's going to happen. I don't see a woman get pregnant and then she has a baby and she goes, oh, where did that come from? She's expecting the first time she gets pregnant, she looks the same as she looked before she found out. But she's expecting. When you get pregnant in your soul and your spirit from the word of God, you are expecting. You're expecting. It shouldn't be a shock to you because now you're anticipating what the promise is. And you start doing warfare. And then you, when you're doing warfare, it's the way you speak. And when you're doing warfare, the more intense the battle gets, the more care you have to take. When you're really in a very intense fight, You've got to, be another example, jump in my head again. My wife and I were in a, the capital of Germany. Gibt da jemand Deutsch von Deutschland da? Gibt da jemand da? Keiner. Keiner Deutsche da. So I, Bonn used to be the capital of Germany and I, there's a multi-language church in this place and she and I were there for years ago and this one man was determined to sing a song he wrote for us and it was so strange to me to sing a song to me that he wrote for me. It's just weird. Anyway, he sang the song... <clears throat> It really is. And, and then, but then they told the whole testimony. It was some years before that, two or three years before, I'd prophesied over him that he'd be healed and would not die. And that I prophesied many things, which he all, everything, he was all good and believed except that because he was a health nut and he was a school teacher. And so he'd ride to school by bike constantly and he was very health conscious. But after I left, not in a few months, he fell over at school at the desk and just had a heart attack. Took in an hour of, the, of the, those emergency services to get an even heartbeat. And he was so bruised, but he was in a coma. 
And so he'd been in a coma and the pastor came with the prophecies that I had spoken and he read them every day to him. And he had all these tubes and things and then after a month he woke up took all the stuff off him, pulled it off and said, I'm going home, I'm fine. They tested his heart, they couldn't find anything wrong with him. But, and so he was completely healed, but that's not the end of the story. The pastor's wife, I don't know if you remember this, remember this? The pastor's wife, at the same time, was walking with two crutches. And we'd gone to dinner and I'd ask her, if she, I'd looked over the table and said to her, do you take medication for this? She says, yes, I do. I said, you must stop them right away. That's medication is not helping to make it worse. You know, stop it, God's, God will heal you, let go. And she's told me she could not, have the faith for stopping her medication. So she said, I began to reduce it. And so when I came, we came this time, not only was Uli so healed and strong and full of faith, this pastor's wife had no crutches, no medication. She was completely healed by the power of the word. Now, why am I telling you that? I wasn't even there. I don't remember anything. I don't, I don't remember a prophecy longer than maybe, I've got a very good memory for about 20 seconds. Because my hard drive is over full many years ago already. It's just, it's, uh, I've unloaded it many times. It's a big thing in the sky, but it doesn't help. It doesn't, you know, the high cloud over it's called. And I still can't, can't remember stuff. So I don't try to remember, even when I get prophecies to you, but, but they warred with that prophecy. They warred and, conf- and began to put it in action. When you warfare with a prophecy and you know it's God, you have to be sure it's God for yourself. You can't use me as an excuse. Do you understand? And that prophecy helps you to find what God's will is for you and you begin to fight for it. The devil's going to do all he can. Now, the more intense the battle gets, that's what I'm trying to tell you was, you start to thin out the company you're keeping. And it's a pattern. As soon as Elijah, Elisha reaches the dead child, he sends them all away and, and, he, and he deals with the body. The same with Jesus. When he gets to the, to the little girl that had died, a 12-year-old girl, he sends them all out because they're mourning and crying and making a lot of noise. He surrounds himself with people that can line and, and have faith with him. He doesn't need a fear and doubt in the atmosphere. If you spend a lot of time with anybody, you'll become what they are. You'll say what they say, you'll pick it up. So if you're cussing or saying things you shouldn't say, then you're watching too much junk on TV. You've got to change what you're putting in. You understand? So if you've got fear and doubt, you've got to start putting in something else. Surround yourself. When the more intense the battle gets, you better make sure that you've got soldiers around you that can think like you. Otherwise, you can't fight that fight because it's a fight. Everyone celebrates you in the fight. Now, I've watched your pastors go through hellish fights. I, I, I can't even describe such a terrible thing. And they didn't give up. They fought. There they are sitting today. You see them and you think, oh, how wonderful. You don't know the fight. They didn't even tell you how to fight because they don't want to create fear or have negative around them. They fought hard. Do you understand what I'm telling you? Yeah. So when you get a prophetic word, make sure you get it written down and you understand that if you see if you really believe it, receive it, then you must become part of you. And if it's a promise of God you need to fight for, like a new job, a marriage, whatever God's promised you, you need to start calling it in. It's yours. But if you say, well, I'll just see whatever God's going to do. I've got a promise. Well, that's not going to help. Do you understand? It's like anything in faith. (laughs) The devil's after your faith. You don't need a lot of faith. Jesus said your faith has to be as a mustard seed. You can't have even, you can't have less faith than the mustard seed. That's a tiny little seed like this big. And he said, in your heart, you must not doubt. So it's never the volume of faith. It was how much doubt you had. So the devil knows that. The devil's already doing this a long time. So the first thing he does in, in the Garden of Eden 
Eve, did God really say, what's what God said? Are you, are you sure that God said, you're not to eat of this tree? He's putting, they can just get you to doubt. Why would God do this for you? So the first thing he does, he starts to accuse you. It's never gonna happen for you. You're a bad Christian. You know what you did maybe some time ago, but what God would have done it, but you know how you failed God. You'll, he'll begin to accuse because that's his ministry. He's the accuser of the brethren. Talking of which, when you start to, start to grow up and using your words, Jesus never accused, never. And so you gotta start changing the way you speak. You cannot tell someone, you cannot accuse them. You cannot say something to someone where they have to defend themselves. If you put them in a place that they have to defend themselves, you're accusing them. So it's important for you to learn not to be accusatory. Say it in a way that's not, don't say you never or you always find, well, I feel like sometimes you don't, you can do words that are not accusatory. You can change the way you speak. That's what Jesus did. He was very selective. You will not fault the words of Jesus. He was well, well groomed in, in the way he spoke, very careful. He was 12 years old teaching in the temple. And I know you Gentiles don't have no clue what that means and what, the, the greatness of it. Understand that when you're a 12 year old boy, you don't get to speak in church. You're not having that up a mitzvah yet. You don't get to talk at all. And he didn't just talk. He didn't just talk to his little rabbi. They had, they had synagogues all over Israel. But then you had grouped rabbis that were above several of the synagogues. And then there's like bishops in any structure. And then they go to the Sanhedrin. And they go to the main place where the temple is. And they're all the learned people. And you had teachers of the law. Besides the Pharisees, they were teachers of the law too. They were specialized in, t- in trying to turn the law and help. Because if you had a problem, you go to the teacher of the law and he'll tell you what you're allowed to do in the Israeli faith. So listen now. So Jesus comes to the temple. Three days. Three days, a little boy. All these most learned in the whole nation. These are the top of the top. People that have been studying their whole lives. Maybe for a half an hour, they find it interesting. But three days? This, this boy knew how to talk at the age of 12. And yet God didn't dispatch him until he was 30. So many of you are gifted, but you're in a hurry to go because God spent... 30 years building the man of Jesus for a three-year ministry. You may be gifted, but God's building the character that can hold it. No good you have a gift and then you, you get lost because you weren't strong enough and you weren't wholesome enough. Do you understand? So God is working in your life at all times and you must trust Him with your life. A lot of you are born again, but not everyone in this room has given their life to the Lord yet. What do you mean? Well, while you're making your own decisions, your life's not His. If you, if you make decisions you didn't even ask God, then your life wasn't His at all. You, did you ask Him? You have to ask Him. He has to have a say in your life. Otherwise, his, your life's not His. And when you give your life to Him, you wouldn't consider doing a thing without the Lord. You, you want God's will because you're so devoted to Him. Do you understand what I'm telling you? And that's a wonderful place to be. How much time do I have? Minus 35 seconds. How did that happen? I don't want to be in the minus zone. It makes me feel very, makes me feel very insecure. That was school, my school life. I can't have it in church too. My best five years was thinner too. I like the teacher. All right. Did I teach you anything? I, 